It's September 16th, 2021. This is Rook. Well, he is an internationally acclaimed composer and musician, and he's also one of the founders of the group Opium Moon, a band who took home a Grammy Award for their debut album in 2019, the great sand tour player Hamid Saidi. He's won acclaim around the world and has spent this past summer presiding over the release of three albums. He is with us for a feature interview coming up. But first, broadcaster Behzad Boulour and singer and writer Azam Ali join us for a special little tribute to and a remembrance of an Iranian music industry legend. This is conversations from, to, and about the Iranian diaspora. Jian Gomeshi. This is Ruh. Hi there, welcome to episode 145 of Rook. Hope you're keeping well wherever you are tuning in from around the world. Hello to you from Toronto, Canada. Salam, Dustan Aziz, Durud, Durud Bashomon, Hamid Saidi. Coming up uh, in just a little while, Keon. He won a Grammy, is that right? Well, you the first li- Iranian. You, you heard the introduction. That's, that's, that's all I got from <laughs> that. Listening. That's great. Well, he's in a group called Opium. Actually, uh, Shia, play a little bit of Hamid Saidi. This is Opium Moon. Take, take a listen. taste of opium moon that's so that's hamid on the santour wow, beautiful and uh yeah they so they come together these four musicians in the la area uh, and uh ending up end up forming a group putting out their debut record in 2019 and then they win a grammy for it that's amazing and he's just been busy uh as uh as a, a beaver what well what? i think that's what they say busy as a beaver oh never heard that uh, I guess beavers are busy it's a Canadian thing <laughs> yeah, I know it's a Canadian thing so obviously beaver <laughs> he's I've heard been, it he's used <laughs> in a foul way before but uh, Keon that's that's you I wasn't thinking that he's, he's busy as a beaver he's <laughs> building dams yeah. you know doing things that My beavers do my mind went somewhere else Gion <laughs> what? what's hello the fabulous Keon hi Gion hello Captain Reza hello sir hello Groovy Shia hi Arumi Mizuni Khuba yeah. Uh, also, Behzad Boulour, the great Behzad Boulour, and the also great Azam Ali uh, joining us in a few moments um, to talk in tribute to a, uh, we lost somebody in the Iranian community uh, in recent days who was instrumental in creating the conditions where people could hear Iranian music. In fact, the bricks and mortar places where you could go and find and buy and and experience Iranian music, both in Tehran and then in Los Angeles, 
We'll get to that. Looking forward to having them on the program in just a few moments. We're coming to you on rookmedia.com. It is there that you can link to all of our platforms. We're on an ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. We're on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, CastBox. If you'd like to see some visuals with Rook, switch over to YouTube right now. And if you like your Rook descriptions and bulletins in English and Farsi, check us out on Telegram. Instagram, YouTube, Telegram, it's all at Rook Media, right, that's Captain right. Reza? That's right, all that. Captain Reza's been busy as a beaver. Oh, is yes. he? What's he doing? I don't know. I'm trying to use Beats the expression. Me. I'm trying to normalize uh. the expression. Uh, in the coming days on Rook, uh, Arash Sobhani, yes. uh, Tina Talebi, Sitara Atai, uh, Husheng Academy, Sasan Behnam Bakhtiar, mm. who is an amazing uh, young artist who, yes. well, I mean, globally recognized artists, uh, artists at this point in France, uh, Leila Paddy and uh, Hadi Parzhovi. Mm-hmm. Kia, wow, do you recognize any of those Maybe names? like two or three out of that very long <laughs> well, list. Of the <laughs> list of impressive people. Shame on me. Shia, of course, uh, has dated all of them. He knows, <laughs> he knows, he knows all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we oh, joke about that, but that happens in our story meeting sometimes. Uh, like, we'll, somebody will get pitched, and Shia will be like, I went for coffee with her once in Vancouver. And we're like, what? And it's usually after, like, we the person gets pitched, and we'll go, oh, how are we going to get in touch with that woman? You know, does anybody know her? Does anybody have a phone? And then after, like, 10 minutes, Shia will be like, we went for dinner once in Tehran. And what? And then... We lived together for <laughs> two years. <laughs> two years. Wait a minute. You dated Hushang Academy too? <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, I should mention on this uh, episode, a big shout out to Fadid Amarion and York National Realty for helping to bring this episode of Rook to Your Ears and Eyes. York National Realty is a boutique real estate company based in Aurora, Ontario, Canada, that provides top-tier service with its team of Fadid, Sean, Fadavi, and, and Nahal Sultani. They are a full-service realty firm that are there for everyone, from first-time home buyers to investors looking for new opportunities in the communities they serve. Uh, and Farid and the team have made it their mission to give back to the Iranian community and the diaspora. They've supported a number of Persian community events and projects. If you're looking for real estate, this boutique firm is where you should go. Thank you to Fadid, Sean, and Nahal. York National Realty. Go to yorknational.com, yorknational.com. All right, let's get to it. We want to do something a little different today. A tribute to a man who played a major role in the celebration of Persian music, both in Iran and then in the diaspora, specifically in Los Angeles. His name was Abbas Chamanara the co-owner of the legendary Beethoven music store with his brothers in Tehran, then the founder of Music Box, a store in Los Angeles. Abbas died last week, and uh, we have a couple of special guests on the line to talk about his legacy. First, uh, Behzad Boulour, the great broadcaster and producer with the BBC, is in London. Hello, Behzad John. Durud, hello. Durud, sir. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. And Azam Ali, the artist, the songwriter, the singer, the force behind the group, Niaz, is in Los Angeles. Hi, Azam Jun. Hi, Jian Jun. Hi, Besa Jun. It's been so long. Durut. Yes, yes. Good to talk to you. <laughs> I, 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 I saw you about, I think, something like 13 years ago, 14 years ago in London's ICA concert. You, you had long ago. Well, you didn't see me. I was in the crowd. 
<laughs> well, it's nice to hear your voice again. Hi, Jiang Jun. How are you? I'm I'm fantastic. Have either of the two of you dated Shia? That's what's. <laughs> <laughs> Six degrees of Shia. Andy is here. As I'm John, I, I thought I thought I should start with you. You're there in Los Angeles, where uh, Abbas Chamanara really made a a, a big impression in in more recent years. I I think you knew Abbas pretty well. Can you set this up for us? Can you tell us about the man and and um, what what he did for the Persian community? Well, I, I would like to just express it from more of a personal standpoint, because what he has done for the Persian community is, is um, kind of speaks for itself in terms of the impact the music box had. It's beyond the Persian community. There are so many stories. And when I shared a post about, I wrote a tribute for him. So many people who are not Persians um, ended up sharing their experience of going into that store to discover Persian music and what that store meant to him. So it was kind of a landmark for Los Angeles. Um, and what he did was, you know, he was a trailblazer. He was a trailblazer. I met him as a teenager, actually. I was very much interested in folkloric music, particularly Iranian folkloric music. And at that time, you know, YouTube didn't exist, the internet didn't exist. So I used to just go and into these bookstores looking for music. And I ended up just going into his store, went, going into the music box and asked him if he had any Iranian folk music. And he, he looked at me very strangely because he said nobody young ever asked those kind of questions. <laughs> So he got very excited and he went to the back and brought this huge box out and it was full of old cassette tapes. And um, he said, well, you can look through these. There's a lot of great folk music here. So I started looking through them and then the ones that interested me, I took them out and he was so excited. He started playing them. And then I would spend hours on the, uh, either Saturdays or Sundays. I used to visit him there and I would spend hours just going through these cassette tapes. He'd play them, he'd bring us tea. And then it kind of became my routine where every weekend I used to go and he would set aside tapes for me that he knew I was going to love. And actually the first songs I recorded, Niaz folk songs I recorded for our group Niaz were ones that I discovered through him. Mm. And I didn't see him for many, many years uh, once I started my career. And then I went in one day and I was, you know, already well into my 20s at that point. And he was so excited when I walked in. He had put all my CDs on his main wall. He was it was sort of like seeing a very proud uncle. Yeah, you shared some of what you've just said on, on that post, and it was um, incredible to see the kind of people responding to the post on social media and how how many lives he touched. Um, Basad, let me bring you in here. I mean, I, in a moment, I want to ask you about Beethoven music and the importance of that store in Tehran, which gets sure. named a lot. But first, did you, did you know Abbas? Did you ever meet him personally? Yes, sure. I met him first in 1996, then 1998, then 2002, then four, then six. Then I think the last time I saw him, he was talking about uh, he cannot uh, keep the shop going. And I remember he, I have so many fantastic memories of him. First of all, his uh, very distinguished eyebrows and his extremely welcoming face and, and eyes, you know, and he was always smiling. He was like a representative of, of an age that is lost now in our community and, and, and in our culture. And he, I remember he was always leaning on one side on his counter and always 
direct me to others go to get this cd go to get that i actually at this first time when i saw him it was all cassettes and cds was just about becoming more and more popular and they were very expensive so i remember him and then his wife it, he was amazing we would talk about also about beethoven in in iran because on that age that i used to go to beethoven in 1970s and buy cassettes and later on videotapes before um, I, I moved to London. So he was an amazing character. We talk about music, we talk about pop music, talk about his family because I knew his nephew, I think, Bobak Chamanaro also. He, he had a very um, important role in introducing underground Persian music. And going back to Abbas uh, or Abbas Jun, I remember I bought some of the first, <laughs> not, not first, I mean, since I live in London, so I used to buy cassettes for our music show, which I used to do a music request show for BBC Persian, not BBC Farsi, BBC Persian, just to remind you on that. <laughs> and um, we used to go to these different uh, groceries in London because there wasn't really a tape shop. So when I went to America, I said, oh my God, there is a shop only selling tapes, cassettes, videos, and maybe video, yeah, video was there as well. And I was amazed and I, I bought a big box and it gave me a fantastic reduction. So lots of my uh, request songs was played by the cassettes, which I bought from him directly and i always used to go there and he had an amazing collection of so many different variety of iranian music from folk to classical to uh, some uh, some very rare uh, cassettes from ruhozi style you know mm. which is um a bit, let's say downtown tehran folk songs and i remember he was always helping me immensely I was looking for this cassette, that cassette, this singer, and he was always helping me because he knew I'm going to play it back to the Iranians. So I always remember him as a um, fantastically good-natured person. And every time I went to uh, Los Angeles, I had to go and meet him because hmm. I just love meeting him and stand behind next to him in, in front of him in the counter, by, by the counter and talk about music and just enjoying his presence. He's amazing. Besad, uh, uh, let me just yes. ask you, because uh, I, I want to ask about Los Angeles and Music Box, but even before that, so as, f as far as I can understand, because uh, I've heard so much about uh, Beethoven music, uh, the store in Tehran, and especially sure. the early years of it. It started by these brothers, uh, Abbas, yes, Abbas being brothers, one of them. And it's almost like takes on this sort of mythical quality because when we bring yes. on musicians or music lovers, what they always name check it. They, uh, there was this store I went in. Uh, why was this one store, Behsad, in a city yes. of in a city of millions, so pivotal? Yeah, first of all, it was a very nice location, I remember. It was a beautiful street. And it was all the way all the way up to the, to the ceiling. It was cassettes and, and, and records and everything. And for us, you know, I, I, was, I was a kid going there with, with my older brother sometimes or with my father to look. It was the atmosphere of music and you could hear music. And it was very rare in those days, you know, yeah, to, to go to a shop and just see music. I remember uh, before revolution, there were lots, many little uh, music shops in Tehran. And, and there was another competitor called Estereo Du Hazar, which was all, even bigger than Beethoven. But Beethoven had that true sense, like little bookshops that are very personal. They, they have the full knowledge of everything. You don't see the, the, the shop assistant change. There are always people who, right. who are there and they know about the music industry. Right, you, can, right. you can see in their eyes that they, they, were, they had hands in recording music. As far as I heard, uh, Abbas' uh, brother, Mr. Karim, 
also brought first um, vinyl recorders to London, to, to Tehran, sorry, and started the recordings back long time ago. So going to Beethoven was that atmosphere of music from all different kinds, from, mm. from pop music of the, of the Western rock music to, to Persian music. So that was a very unique uh, shop for us. And and Azam John, you, you, what can you? I mean, especially the, in those early years where this store captures your imagination. What can you describe Music Box for us, Azam? Well, it was kind of a. I mean, really, the best way to describe it is it is that it was a boutique. Uh, music store, but it was beyond a music store, even Beethoven music for that matter. You know, I had the privilege of being able to visit it only once when I went back to Iran after 25 years. And it had a very similar feeling. Of course, Beethoven music was a lot bigger than by by the time I visited it, but it was beyond music. They They brought international music and documentaries and films, really high art, things that you would not find in your average um, sort of run-of-the-mill music store. And they were kind of mirror boutiques, both of them, Beethoven Music and Music Box. So it reflected just the the way that this family um, revered art in general, music, films. You know, I discovered Majid Majidi, for example, uh, through Abbas Chamanad. I would go in, I would ask for films, like Iranian films that he loved, and he would tell me, go watch this, you have to get this. He he was just so passionate. He just didn't, he, it wasn't like just running a store, you know. And one of my friends actually on the tribute that I wrote shared a really great story that one day Robert Plant had walked into the music, music box and asked uh, Abbas Chamanara um, to recommend some Persian music to him because he loved Persian music. And he asked for which artists he recommend and then Abbas Chamanara said you know I sell your music here mm -hmm. and he showed it to him on the wall and Robert Plant was just shocked so they mm -hmm. ended up taking pictures together and becoming friendly so it was just it, this is just the kind of person that he was he loved uh, music films documentaries all of this beyond just the geographical borders of Iran of course they predominantly um, featured a lot of Iranian artists. Actually, my husband, his first band, Axiom of Choice, which ended up uh, really becoming hugely popular in Iran, uh, they owe, you know, Ramin will tell you, he owes a large part of his success to the Chamanara family because Babak in, uh, at Beethoven Music was the person who really championed the band. Uh, when they first began, and and they owe a lot of their popularity to the Chamanara family. So this is just kind of how it was. It was really a boutique store run by deeply passionate art lovers. It's the it's the curatorial aspect that's yes. that becomes so important. I mean, these stores would become the epicenters of our cultural journeys, and I guess we all know that record shops are not really thriving businesses anymore, and and one of the things that we lose, I mean, I was telling the gang here, because they, they either weren't in Canada yet, or they were too young, but um, there was a store in Toronto that anybody who was here in the 80s and 90s would remember, called uh, Sam the Record Man, and Sam the Record Man yeah, it was actually a big show 
shop and it ended up being a bit of a chain but it was it was the kind of place that you first of all you know if you wanted to buy something you go down to young and dundas downtown in toronto and you buy this you go to this record store that has all these records all over the walls and it was this emporium of you know music that was unlike anything i'd seen before but the other thing was that it was always the staff were the kind of people who could who they just knew their shit you know they were music nerds or they were curators in themselves and you know that you could ask someone uh, in some cases almost intimidatingly because you're like i'm going to expose myself of uh, not knowing enough about rush or something but i'm going to ask them and then they're going to tell me which album i should buy and i don't know what replaces that in this era but it sounds like as i'm john that that uh, Abbas Charmanara was that kind of curator that that it was more than just a shop and it was more than just a friendly owner of a shop but a guy that you could go to and really be, be led to the kind of music or culture that you end up loving to consume yes I think curator is the, the, probably the most um, accurate term to describe who he was it's uh, it's so true and and you know if he recommended something to me he would recommend things to you based on the knowledge he had of you and what you would like. This is what was so remarkable about him, is that he remembered every single person that went into his shop and he knew exactly what to recommend to whom. So if he recommended a, you know, a CD to me or a film to me, I knew that I would have to just go and explore it because I, I trusted his taste so much, you know. Bessa, do you feel that as well, that curatorial aspect that he would have had? Sure. Um, th and that curatorial aspect is, you know, it's a bit different with Chaman or Abbas Jun or, uh, or them because they're, you can see their roots going back to the 1950s and 60s, you know, because you have a very clever shop assistant who knows about music, yes? But these people, you could, you could feel that they, they live with these people that they are selling they went to the studios when they were recording and he could sense that and, and the calmness in his words and, and, and just few words said rather than, you know, blabbering around. You can feel that. And then and another thing which I want to add is uh, at that time, there were many other, uh, when I went, actually when I met uh, Abbas and, and went to a music box, there were many other music shops in, in Westwood and they were mostly selling books and cassettes or even grocery and that and I can just say that but when you went there to the to that part of the store which they sell music there was there was like as if there was a death or emptiness but with Abbas it was different you would go there although it looked it didn't look much you know it didn't have any uh, you know any any kind of um, uh, let's say prettiness or something but you could you just felt extremely comfortable being there as if you're in the safe hands mm. because as, as if when you go there uh, Abbas was said this is this is us this is our life so you can just join us in this in this life that we have shared in this shop and you can be there browse around if you want as much as you want and you could never feel that you're being looked at and and some the thinking that why are you there for too long it was just amazing the, the feeling of 
culture and music you could feel it there and at those days it was very rare Beza can I ask you I mean I, I, and then I'll ask uh, Azama uh, the, somewhat the same question you're you're could because you're both people who've observed uh, the music industry from the inside and the outside for many years and you know when it comes to the Persian music industry quote unquote because I'm not sure we can even call it an industry sometimes it's so um, yes. small or, or weak in some ways and 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 underdeveloped um, it, it would seem strange for some people uh, uh, even as I mentioned an iconic store like Sam the record man you know the the, the Western music business does not turn on one store you know here or there can so can you give us context for how a, a store like Beethoven music or or for that matter music box in, uh, in Los Angeles why that would be so important even to the big Persian artists you know Iranian music industry is a um, is is um, is like a person who just had an accident hmm. and has gone to the to the emergency unit. You know, we are not a normal country, so you cannot look at us in a normal way. Um, during Shah time, was a, just a self self uh, circulating business, which was based on just very rare families buying records mostly was uh, the, the the music industry was managed by weddings um special events and cabarets concerts wasn't even that popular it was mostly done for the shah or very rarely once a year so we have that then we have after revolution which is which is uh, the music has been stopped and became a crime and then you have these people who have moved to los angeles or london or germany and they kept this little treasure as if it's like a, a diamond <laughs> that that some other bank was raided and they just managed to to keep some of this uh, special jewel so for us these shops were like our culture centers this is where we could feel iranian mm -hmm. this is where our very small music industry which is trying to survive outside iran in its own way of little freedom that it has was representing being Iranian. I would go there to feel connected to hmm. Iranians in Iran, to the to the to the because music culture is not just music. Is for us is about different identities, different way of thinking, different politics, different histories. Classical music for us is a way of thinking that connects me to somewhere in Kurdistan or to Isfahan. So, uh, music industry for us is immature and is scattered and battered because it, it never had a chance to evolve because of many different uh, political changes in iran and also making people getting used to having music for free mm -hmm. because of the radio in the short time and also these days because of the free downloads and everything and and all the singers are desperate to be heard and they've forgotten about forget about uh, the economy behind the music because that doesn't work anymore and even the concerts have stopped for a long time so it's just a desperate situation and in that desperate situation music shops is closed down and it's a big shame and places like music box for us was my my iranian identity center mm. that's what i felt and i felt the same in dubai when i saw a music shop or in london Chamanara's music shop was connected to Beethoven, was connected to my Iran. It felt very different when I went to that shop compared to when I went to another shop, which was 
20 meters down the road in Westwood or, or thousands of kilometers away in Dubai. Here, I was connected also into 1970s and 60s because Abbas Shamarara belonged, his roots was from that era hmm. and I could connect to it. It's really beautifully said, Azam. Wow, that is, he's, Beza John, thank you. He really expressed that so beautifully that <laughs> it would be broken difficult English. No, you, you expressed it, it came from the heart and you actually expressed yes. it so beautifully. I think, you know, if, if I, I would, I would just, there's not much I can add to that, but I, I would, I would only go as far as to say that when I, when I just try to describe Abbas, Abbas Chamanara and what Music Box has meant to me in my life and career, I would say that the day I walked into his store as a 17 or 18 year old, I, I was going in there not in search of um, music. I was going in there in search of identity. Yes, absolutely. And, and, uh, and this is what, what he represented for me as an artist. I feel like I discovered, was going in there to find out where I came from, where are my roots, you know, when you're uprooted like that. And that absolutely. demands a lot of trust between you and the person who you are going to. Um, who is entrusted with this great task of preservation of culture, you know, and that's what that's what he was. He was a preserver of culture and tradition. And for those of us who had zero connection to it, he was holding the key to our identity. So that's what the music box meant for me. It was the the first key to finding discovering my own identity and falling in love with my culture while I was thousands of miles away from the land and its people. Really beautifully said. I, I yeah, think. I agree. And uh, Azam, you, you are there in Los Angeles. Is there, um, what, what can you tell us about how the community has reacted there, um, or it, if there's any sort of memorial? or? It's uh, unbelievable. I mean, honestly, if you had another hour, I would sit here and just read to you the messages I've received from my American fans and friends after they read my tribute. Thank you so much for posting about uh, the music box. We would have never discovered so much of the Persian music that we love if it wasn't for his store. It's the impact that he had even beyond beyond the, per of the Persian community. I mean, the Persian community really took his death hard and rightfully so. But you have to understand that he also was, it, the music box became a vortex where none Iranians used to go to discover something about a culture that for the l for the large part is so enigmatic in the American psyche yes. and not necessarily in a good way. So people who went in there wanted to learn about the beautiful aspects of Iranian culture and that place um, was really what it, what it was, was like a museum, you know, no different than that. He preserved something very beautiful about our culture and he kept it alive. And people who went in there, non-Iranians, went in there to discover something about an Iran that they are not taught about every day. So in general, I would say the loss for both the Iranian community and uh, music lovers in the non-Iranian community is tremendous. 
Let me just bring uh, Shia in. Shia, if you want to, uh, because I, I, I know, did you, I know you know Bob Akshan. Yes, did, no, did, actually I met Abbas John. I mean, I remember the, it was my first day or my second day, day when I arrived in Los Angeles, I went to Music Box. To, it was the first place actually that I visited in Los Angeles. Uh, yeah, and so, yeah, I, I, I'm Bob Ak's friend, so, and I, I, I cannot add anything to what uh, Azam Jun and uh, Besa Jun said, but I want to say that the Beethoven shop in Iran also, I, I was going there to find my identity, not for music, you know. Even as an Iranian Even in Iran. Yes, yes. That's amazing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would ask Reza what you want to contribute, oh. but I know there's pretty much nothing you can contribute. So, <laughs> well, sadly, I, 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 I think it's better to <laughs> not ask you. Uh, bottom of the barrel here. But I maybe bad I know it's terrible. I love terrible. him. I love him. He's my brother. Go ahead, Reza. Yeah. But no, I wanted to say that being said, though, uh, getting introduced to uh, the Chamanarov family, I think business, family business, Beethoven family, and his the the contribution he's made to the Iranian culture and to the diaspora I feel I can't help but feel proud yeah and that's for you Kian you don't think I'm proud of being <laughs> Iranian I am you surprised me <laughs> I feel very sad that I didn't get the chance to uh, to view either of these stores and meet this wonderful man I I really I have no words after listening to well, I think, both I think of the, you the music box is still there right uh, is it going to continue yes uh, yeah oh wonderful yes I'm sure that his son and his uh, um, his wife, who is also such a beautiful woman, you know, we, we, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry for their loss. They were kind of inseparable. You know, she was always at the store almost every single time that I was in there. So I hope that his wife and his son are going to keep the store open and, you know, that it, that itself is not going to end because really an era came to an end with his passing for me. And I, I hope at least the music box stays open. Well, you've done, you've both done such a, um, such great work here in, in terms of keeping the memory alive and paying tribute. Uh, I thank you both for, for taking the time and for your insights. We learn from you. Uh, as I'm joined, it's always a pleasure to have you. Uh, Behsad, you, you're, uh, you're like a, a you. cultural historian for us, and it's, it's so appreciated. Thank you to both thank of you. you. Thank you for thank having you. us, and thank you, Jian Jun, for um, uh, doing this feature on Abbas Chamanara and the Music Box and paying tribute to a truly great human being. Thank you, Azza. Yeah, me too. I want to thank you, Jian, because I wanted to do something about Abbas Chamanara, and I wanted to call BBC and, and do write something, but it never happened. So thank you for that chance. And if you don't mind, I want to end with a happy... Happy ending, so a happy note. Please. If you don't mind. Uh, I just want to say a memory of San Diego um, about uh, 15 years ago. I went to a Native American shop and there was this amazing bag, which was very small and it reminded me of some of the movies. I thought it's made of hard cardboard and it was very expensive. I remember at the time it was like four or five times more expensive than the other bags. But I bought it. It was a bit it was very thick, very hard, and a bit oily. And I asked what, what the leather is. They say it's beaver leather. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, wow. So beaver's tail are, yeah. are used unfortunately for the yeah. bags. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you exploit Wait, the Canadian the beaver? Was this a happy note? <laughs> it was a, it was a funny note for the, for the, referring to the beginning of the of the show. Right, yes, yes. Nothing to do with the uh, loving tribute to <laughs> <laughs> Chevron. Yes, yeah. Uh, uh, thank you, Vanessa John. Always a pleasure. Thank Hope you. to see you soon. Bye, thank Azam. You. Bye. Thanks, bye. guys. Bye. Bye, bye everyone. Bye. 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 That is the uh, the the great BBC broadcaster, uh, Bessa Boulour, and of course the uh, recording artist, the singer, the songwriter, the writer, uh, Azam Ali. Uh, Bessa was in London. Azam was in Los Angeles. That was nice, huh? It was beautiful. I, yeah. I'm completely speechless after hearing. You that. know, these. I, I do wonder. I mean, we. It's it's kind of a cliche to lament the end of bookstores and the end mm-hmm. of record stores, and yeah. but you realize that these are. Um, what uh, Azam said, and I think, uh, or I, I, everybody said, uh, Bess, I said, and you echoed beautifully, Reza, is the uh, the idea that you're not just going there to to uh, find music, or you're going there to find yourself, yeah. you know. And these are the places where we found ourselves. And yeah. I don't know, I don't know if that happens on a on a website or on oh, a no. you know Spotify chart or oh, something, right? Oh, no, and this this keeps happening. This like for me, video stores is a big thing, like. Dundas video store in Toronto, uh, downtown Toronto, which is still exists, and they like they still rent out like t- DVDs and stuff like that, and it's a, such a unique place and a little cozy video store, and God knows how long that's gonna be around, but it's one of those places that you just you feel depressed, you're gonna like I'm gonna go pick up something like a movie or something. You wander around the store, you talk. Going to the, to the video store, and I don't know if you guys remember this, uh, if you were here in in Canada at the time, Keon, you might yeah. remember that Blockbuster in its heyday yeah. actually had popcorn in the store. That's they right. Did. You would go, and so going to the store yeah. was half the date. Like it was like, <laughs> oh, yeah. let's go walk around yeah. with our popcorn, f- yeah. figure out which movie we're gonna get. Yeah. You know, you might not even end up watching the movie. It's just oh. a you know spending the time walking yeah. around a store looking at movies and talking about them. Right? These are lost yeah. treasures. It, it really oh. is, yeah, yeah. I remember actually when Blockbuster closed down, like they got the, that location when they got the call that they have to close down. I was checking out a video, I was checking out a movie, and the guy, like, the look on his face was priceless. Did you get to check out the movie, or did I they did. take I it away it from out. you and say, we're closed now? <laughs> no, but the guy was like, he was like, <laughs> I remember, like, I was checking it out, and then he, he was on the phone, and then he looked like, like, I thought, like, he got bad news, like his mother passed away or something, I don't know, because he looked like he's seen a ghost. He was like, uh... Oh, okay. And then he hung up the phone. I'm like, uh, you okay, dude? He was like, not really. I just lost my job. Oh I'm my like, God. oh my God, I'm sorry. It's so it's so interesting that, that it wouldn't have been that long ago, right? We're talking oh. about 20, 25 years ago, maybe. Or mm-hmm. when, uh, I mean, when they closed down? Yeah. No, they closed down in 2009. I okay. Think. But no. I mean, it is, hey, it is heyday. Let's yeah, say it was heyday. 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's not that long ago. And yet, no. a kid now... It would seem like you're from a different planet. You're like, uh, you, you, totally. we used to go to a place yeah. where we would get a box to and be like, well, why wouldn't you just press download on your computer? Why didn't you, know? you just watch Netflix? Yeah, yeah, we yeah. yeah. Why, why would you go somewhere? We used to get in the car, you know, walk across the city, go into a store, you know, yeah. pick out a large box yeah. and then take it to a counter. And I mean, it's the whole thing seems like the caveman days yeah, at this point. Yeah. 
Uh, this is Rook coming to you on rookmedia.com where you can become a patron of our program. Just press the support us button. Rookmedia.com is the hub of all things Rook. We are um, going to be launching some new programs on Rook Media, including the Contemporary History of Iran, which we will launch. It's called the Contemporary History of Iran. A new podcast will launch uh, on a couple of Sundays from now. So mm. uh, stay tuned for that because it's going to have its own platform. We're going to direct you to where you can start to become a subscriber for that program if you're interested. The Contemporary History of Iran coming up on Rook Media. All right. The fabulous Kian, Captain Reza Gurvishaya. We'll see you in a little bit. Let's get to our feature guest. My feature guest today is an internationally acclaimed composer and musician. He's also one of the founders of the group Opium Moon, a band who took home a Grammy Award for their debut album in 2019. Take a listen to this. taste of the piece gravity equals love the lead-off track from the debut album by the band opium moon so opium moon are a multinational quartet that formed in 2017 to create instrumental improvisations and songs combining amongst other things iranian classical music with an eastern spirit in 2019 they won the grammy award for their eponymously named record in the best new age album category and one of the founders of opium moon that you might have heard playing the santur in that clip is an iranian american musician named hamid saidi Hamid was born in Tehran. He was trained in the Radif system of Persian traditional music from the age of 15 and studied Santur with Master Majid Kiani. Hamid holds a degree in music from the Iranian Academy of the Arts, where he studied composition. He has performed all over the world and has composed musical scores for more than 35 films, television programs, dance and theatrical presentations. His work has received awards at the Beirut Film Festival, the Iran TV Festival and the Society of Critics of Theater in Iran. Since 2009, Hamid has been based in Los Angeles, where he writes, produces and teaches. He co-founded Opium Moon in 2017. Then in 2018, he founded Hamid Saidian Ensemble as well to bring traditional and contemporary Persian poetry and music to broader audiences. Opium Moon have two brand new records entitled Day and Night, and Hamid has his own brand new solo record called Mist Over. But first, right now, Hamid Saidi joins me from Los Angeles, California today. Hello, sir. Hi, uh, Jean John. I'm so happy to finally get a chance to talk to you. That's great. It's my pleasure, and I'm very happy that we get to do this as well. And congratulations, belated as it is, for this uh, uh, Grammy Award and for your recent successes. You know, it's been, um, I guess it's been quite a couple of years for you, despite the pandemic slowing things down a little. You form Opium Moon. You guys put out a debut record. You become Grammy winners. I'm assuming you didn't expect all of this would happen so fast. 
Uh, honestly, not really. We started Opium Moon very gentle. Actually, the uh, Opium Moon project was the easiest project for me ever because there wasn't that much of preparation. The only uh, thing that we prepared ourselves before recording was that we put aside our, our egos and put aside our techniques and put aside, um, you know, whatever, as a, as a professional musician or, or producer, all of us, all four of us, all the tools that we use to impress our audience, well, we <laughs> promise each other to not use them and try to get and create pure energy and pure music. Do you think that energy and that chemistry has to naturally evolve or is there a way to induce that energy? In other words, was it fated that you guys ended up playing together and just found that you had that chemistry together or, or can you foster that with good musicians? Uh, Actually, uh, I think that was sort of fate. Me and Lily start this band. We promised each other about seven, eight years before to make a recording together. When we accidentally start thinking about Opium Moon and we, we remind that we promise each other to, to make a recording together, Immediately, uh, Itai came to our mind, our bassist, which is uh, Lily's husband. The energy was perfectly between three of us. Now we needed percussion. We, we brought a couple of percussionists and we start ju just playing, just jamming. And as soon as he, MB joined us, I, I think everything just made sense. Mm. For sure, our background is somehow connected to the same music that we are creating. Uh, but it didn't happen intentionally. It, we didn't plan for that. We just got connected to each other. Uh, Speaking of not planning for that, I mean, I understand that you guys knew each other for a while as musicians in L.A. You've told a little bit of the story there, but but you didn't actually come together three or four years ago because of Opium, despite the name of the group Opium Moon, but because of tequila. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> you could actually be Tequila Moon. Can you can you tell the story exactly. of how, how, how did tequila enable this group to come together? Some of my friends, they were guests in my place. We got together, we, we drank a lot of tequilas, and then at I, I believe it was 1 a.m. or 2 a.m., something like this, we decided to, oh, let's, let's play some music. Let's do jamming. And we came to my studio, and um, we just start playing. Very, very simple. Very, very simple. And one of my friends, who is a great uh, music presenter and... Uh, manager of uh, Omar Farouk Tekbulek, a huge Turkish musician. Um, after we played for 45 minutes or half an hour or something like this, and um, 
we finished and uh, we start laughing and talking and the guy told us where are you guys aware what just happened oh. and we said what happened we just played and he said no it, it wasn't just jamming just and he at, at you know at the middle of our playing he started recording uh, with uh, his phone and he said okay listen to this and you know hooked the, the his phone to my my system where we listened to with a good sound and and we were shocked it was <laughs> it was really really interesting music it was very very interesting and um the guy said okay whatever the hell you guys are doing you have to do it on a stage i don't know what are you doing but you have to do this and then me and Lily uh, remember, oh my God, we did, we promised each other seven years ago, eight years ago to do to do an album together. Let's do it then. The question is to create that magic each time you do a concert. How much tequila do you have to drink backstage? <laughs> Actually, I, I I personally I love tequila. <laughs> Honestly, I always have couple of just just couple of shots of sure, this <laughs> is my my ceremony <laughs> as long as you keep it at a couple we got to keep the sand tour parts uh understandable you know i mentioned in the introduction that the music is improvisational and i, I really love this about what you guys do and i really want to you've just made the point to a certain extent in terms of the genesis of the group but i really want to emphasize this for folks listening in other words, you guys just get together and jam and then you record and release. I mean, there is, um, this is not manufactured. There isn't some, you don't sit and write a song and labor over it and bring it to the other members and go, okay, you play this part, you play this part. It's got to be very freeing and a very um, visceral exercise. And at the same time, I think you probably, I mean, knowing good musicians, you probably all have to fight the instinct to want to somehow structure it, right? To want to like, well, maybe I could do it better if I went to this chord or, or, or something like that. I, I need to, to tell you two stories. First, after we recorded, somehow the frequency clashed, the frame drum with the, with the bass. And... Uh, our sound engineer, the person who was a mix and mastering, they were, we used six, five or six of the, the best sound engineers. And for them, immediately it was, okay, so let's, let's remove this <laughs> frequency to not have this sort of noise and clash of uh, frequency together. And they did it, and we listened to to the music, and to, uh, all of us said, "Okay, this is this is right, but this is not our music. It is too clean now. Wow! It is too much. It it shouldn't be like this. If if we are we are going to do that clean, then we're gonna play something else. It's very interesting. I heard from another sound engineer friend." that uh, now in Los Angeles, when they get to this kind of clash, they suggest to their client, okay, listen, we can remove this, but Opium Moon use this, and <laughs> it's part of their music. Right, right, right. You choose whatever you want to do. 
it, it is it is very interesting and it's fascinating. Great. It's great. It's great. In other words, especially in this day and age where we record on our computers on on Logic Pro and and you can fix everything. Uh, you, you're talking about, I mean, I think this generalizes where the music can become so antiseptic, so sanitized that you're losing what the actual charm of the music is. Even, even mistakes that are corrected, I think sometimes take away from what is attractive about something that's been recorded, right? Exactly. Exactly. I think sad thing is that now we as a musicians or producer we make music not with our ear we make music with our eyes hmm. and i believe we are losing a lot of things to do that yeah sometimes i think i'm too old and i'm too lazy i don't want to <laughs> to do too much editing on the music uh, that's why I, I i'm trying to prove this but it is not like that. It, I'm, I'm talking about music. I, I, seriously, as you said, sometimes mistakes in music are beautiful. We are human beings. Put aside your ego and not care or not worry about whatever other musicians in a very first step gonna think about you and um, we think about that yeah. and it was so difficult to put this thinking aside we had this self-confidence to okay now let's make some mistake I mean, take me back to how this all happened for you. Take me back to growing up in Iran. When did the Santour become your love? <laughs> um, it's interesting. Um, uh, have you heard about Seth Karim? I don't think so. He's an old comedian. It was a Navar, the, the tape in our house. It was said Karim for I don't know two hundred thousand years ago. I I don't know, and uh, it, it was he was making joke, and uh, he had two musicians, one with one instrument uh, and uh, another one with Tom back. I didn't know what is that instrument, uh -huh. and I asked from different people what instrument is this, hmm. and they said this is Santur. Keep this in mind. My, um, <laughs> a couple of years after that, close to our house, um, it was a Dothabaka autobus bus with two flats. Should I say a double decker, double decker bus? Yeah, and it goes to to Meiduna Baharistan. Meiduna Baharistan is there is a lot of um, music store, like traditional uh, music store. I, I, in one of them, the a guy was tuning a, a centaur. And I was watching him from the outside of the store, and it was snowing. And the guy came outside and uh, asked me, do you need anything? I said, no, I'm <laughs> just, just watching. And he said, okay, you're going you're gonna to do Sine Pahlu. You're going to get cold. Just, just come inside. 
sit here and watch whatever I'm doing, but do not um, stay outside. And I s sat there and watched him for, I don't know, half an hour, one hour, whatever. And I came back at home and said, okay, I, I want to play Santor. In that moment, uh, my, uh, <laughs> uh, my mom, my my dad, and everybody just just um, kindly they told me, "Okay, shut up! You do, you just go to school, do your your thing, and um, uh, you're you're not supposed to to be a musician, and you're you're too young to get to to this world. You you need to do your stuff." And uh, a couple of months after that, it was eight. It was no rules. I got my ADs, I, the, the money that uh, people give to kids. I got my ADs and went to the same store and said, okay, I, I, I love Santor, but I want to play something. I want to play music. But, uh, the elderly guy was here said, okay, I know you you love the Santor, but I suggest you start with Tom Back. Hmm. It's gonna help you a lot if you wanna do whatever you wanna do. I start playing Tom Back. After about six months, I, I had a I had a uh, gold necklace, and I uh, went to my mom and said, "Okay, mom, I want to sell this and buy Sant. I seriously want to buy a play Santor. I I think I need to do that." And I bought my Santor after six months, and I start playing. I was playing Tombak and Santor at the same time. And how, how old were you? I was about twelve. And you did you end up selling your gold chain for the Santor? Yes. Yes. Wow, I yeah. love that. I mean, that, that you. It, Even I remember how much I, I, I well, we we sold that chain. We sold that fifteen thousand uh, Tomans. At and, that time, and you really once you started playing the Santour, the the one that you bought, it, yeah. I mean, you there was no going back. The feeling that you had was a correct one. You knew this was fated. This was going to be your life. Honestly, I wasn't thinking about my life. I I just wanted to play. When I went to the school the first time, uh, university, I didn't. Th nobody was uh, expecting me to be a, a professional musician. Uh, including myself, honestly. Uh, you know, when you say that you went to school and and even then you didn't think you could become a professional musician, uh, you not only become a professional musician, but you become a very successful one in Iran. You were a, a film and TV score maker. You were a producer. Uh, something happens. You're still in your 30s at this point. You're in your, it's it's leading up to the, the year 2009 when you end up leaving Iran. Something happens where you become kind of blacklisted on some level by the government. And it was because you were advocating for, for compensation, for copyright compensation for artists, if I have the story right. I don't know if there's a brief version of this story, but can you explain what happened? How you sort of fell out with the the government when you were having so much success as a as a music maker in Tehran? First of all, I think the only mistake that I made was I I was too loud. 
I wasn't doing only music and making money out of it. I was doing too many things. We were seven people. Later, we, we called ourselves Hafta. We put together a, a information about copyright, and we thought if if sometimes, anytime, um, you know, Iran wants to, uh, to accept the copyright for music or for any art form, the government doesn't know anything about the copyright of any kind of art especially music they do not know what to do they do not know royalties they, right. they do not know what is co copyright and how it works right. it's a tragedy yeah 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 we start to put together some information to just dedicate to them and if somehow they accept the law and and they start practicing the law have something to know how to research more know the terms the the very right. basic terms but also in terms of creating the infrastructure for musicians to get compensated for that what they do which would then lead to uh, more fertile ground for other musicians to grow for young musicians to uh, find their path and, and for the music industry for the artistry of iran to flourish uh, the, the heartbreaking part of when I heard about this story with you is what you were advocating for is so benign. I mean, it's not like you were leading a revolution and throwing Molotov cocktails at a legislature. You know, you're, you're, you're saying, hey, let's educate ourselves about copyright for, for musicians, for artists. You would think that the, the government, the Dolat would actually want would think this is a service that you're providing you know would would want to get behind you on this it's uh um i mean you know add it to the list of frustrating things we can talk about in terms of the way uh iran has been governed in, in recent decades but it's a it's a heartbreaking story so this loud voice that you had would lead you to basically lose business is that what happened by 2007 2008 where you're just not getting the the same contracts or gigs and, and exactly I, I i for for master degrees i got accepted for for danishka tehran and they start questioning me as as a criminal person in wazarat amzesh ali which is a very very scary memory for me and uh, i i realized something is wrong and i i'm sort of boycott now i i right. cannot do anything this creates the conditions where you end up leaving iran in 2009 um with your partner at the time in music and in life uh, Mamek Khadem. Uh, you come to california you come to, to los angeles here you are a guy who uh, uh, i mean everyone i know who talks about you talks about how how much of a master you are as a musician uh, and we can hear that in your recordings. You're this great musician who has, who had a thriving business uh, of music in in uh, playing music and writing music and producing music in in Tehran. Before that dried up, how difficult was the transition for you when you got to America? It was very difficult, very very difficult. And at the same time, I was lucky to to have some foundation and have some good friends and have some good um, people around me. But it was very, very difficult. I, I couldn't speak English still. I, I have problem with this language. I didn't know anybody. 
and I wasn't trained to honestly to be a musician like this to just go from this gig to other gig and mm -hmm. do this and play Turkish music and play Arabic music and this is now play this chart and now this is your show and you're playing and not me nobody in Iran is trained for being a professional musician hmm. we have a lot of great professional te music teachers we have some great great musicians that they can play their own music but when it comes to to worldwide crazy mm -hmm. music business we are not trained for that sorry so what would the person who's in the tehran symphony be isn't that a professional musician imagine the same same person who is playing in a in a uh, symphony he is playing part uh, he's playing chart for for those music or for some of them for the recording perfectly okay so they uh, some of them have the uh, this job and have this opportunity to go to play in different recording and play the chart but how about that if if you ask them okay as an iranian they are hired here as an iranian violin player cello player or whatever so this is the environment and we are on for example a major so can you please bring something from your background to this music and play it? And we have only four minutes for, for practice. <laughs> how you, how can you do that for sure that the, the answer is not? Wow. No. At, at the other hand, if you bring, um, you know, great, great tar player, great Kamanche player, Santur player, they are fantastic, fascinating. And say, okay, let's, you are, for example, you are master in playing sure from D or sure from G, but sorry, this music in is in A, in it's in C, and you have to play sure from C. Can you please do that? As they say, how the infrastructure of the of the music uh, teaching and music business in Iran is corrupted and it's somehow wow. wrong. It is. It's just um, that the more I learn, the less I understand. Sometimes when it comes to, uh, I, I mean, if you were trying to plan for this kind of dysfunction you couldn't uh, you couldn't achieve it you know this is just <laughs> this right. is years of of, of 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 a shit show repeating itself uh to get to a point where what you're saying i mean it, it's incredibly tragic why because this we're talking about almost 100 million people some of whom are incredibly talented would have so much possibility that is being suppressed, repressed, unable to grow, unable to to find its footing because of these kind of you know this kind of legacy and and uh, you know there's so so much focus on the top levels of of politics and and you know missiles and and whatever. But this is the minutia. This is the kind of stuff that is is just um, culturally uh, tragic to me. Um, so. You, however, do come here. 
you, uh, I feel like I could spend the entire interview uh, peppering you with questions to, to understand this. So I, I want to move back to you here and talk about your um, what you've been able to build in the West for the last 12 years, which is really impressive. And back to this Grammy-winning moment that you've now had. By 2013, despite the fact that you say you can't speak the language well and you don't know a lot of people and all of that, you release your solo record. It's a record that I, I absolutely love, Imaginary Knots, and I, I find it quite adv- adventurous. I want to play a little taste of the lead-off track from this record. Uh, this is a song called Rap and Weft. This is Hamid Saidi on Rook. اولشو جاشم دو تا یکی زدم یابی پلو زدم سه تا یکی زدم یه زنگاری پلو زدم سه تا یه قوه زدم سه تا یابی زدم یه کرم پلو زدم دو تا وان تو زدم سه تا وان پس زدم آورده کن زدم آخرش برده زدم دو تا یکی برده زدم دمشو جاش بزن زدم سه تا پلوش بزن زدم دو تا یکی پس بزن زدم آخرشو جاش زدم I gotta tell you, when I first heard that, it blew me away. It is so interesting what you've got going on there. What can you tell us about what we just heard? Uh, um... But this is this is a very very dear track for me. Uh, this is the the voice of my mom. Oh wow! And I, I uh, and uh, I lost my mom. <clears throat> I had no idea. I'm so sorry. Hey, Bobo. It's okay, man. This is, it's a, take your time. Yeah. Unfortunately, I lost my mom less than a year ago and I couldn't uh, go to Iran and visit her. Um, my, my entire family is uh, from Kashan. Persian rock is very important part of the, you know, their life. And uh, I, I was uh, I was fascinated by by the sound of when they are trying to uh, what is that buff? Then they're weaving the weaving the weaving the, yeah, the yes. uh, weaving the carpet, the, the rock, and the sound of that. Sorry, sorry. Let me let me just cl- clarify that for people who are listening, because Shia explained this to me actually uh, when I brought him this track. I was like, "This is amazing." I just thought it was some you know cool language, something that people were doing you know with some Farsi language. He said, "No, this is this is what the women say to each other as they're weaving the the carpets." And does it actually sound like that while they're doing that? Is it like almost meditative, like uh, the like in a repetitive fashion? Uh, almost, but I. Twist it a little, little bit and bring it to, to music work. Okay, um, okay. Honestly, so I, I, I uh, for a couple of years I was very fascinated with folkloric music and how the, you know different part of Iran ha- has different kind of music and I was traveling and recording different uh, different sound from different part of Iran, and I went to Kashan and I went to these um, uh, places who they uh, weave the carpet and uh, we started recording them for a couple of days. 
and um, I came back to Tehran and uh, my mom said what's wrong why you are not shining I said okay I, I went there for for three days I record a lot recorded a lot of things but when they see the microphone the, the energy is different they are acting they, right, it's right. not real anymore right also they cannot keep their their own rhythm because of me and my mom said do you want me to do it for you <laughs> we all of us me and my my brothers and my sister we have a, a small carpet from our mom she whipped for us and well this is a very dear gift for all of us so uh, she knows how to do it right. professionally and i said good really you're gonna do that and she said of course and i brought all my things from my backpack to the kitchen and easily she starts singing and then then i you know twist a little bit the rhythm and and then put the the sound and it came uh i i had no idea that that was your mom on the recording and um, I'm sorry if I if it seemed like I I didn't mean to ambush you with that. Is have you heard that song since your mom died? Was it is that something you don't you don't listen to yes, because actually, of that? Um, um, yes, the day that I heard um, um, he passed away, I I listened to this song for for a week actually almost. Uh, wow! Oh my god! Uh, almost every day for a week. I get it, brother. I know I've lost a parent. I know how it how difficult it can be, and I and uh, but it, it is beautiful that you have that piece and that you have her voice and that we can hear that and share it. And uh, um, uh, yeah, wow. Finally, I want to go out on. I mean, you've got a lot. Of, uh, uh, <laughs> you've been busy. You've been busy writing and recording because not only are there the two albums that have just been released from Opium Moon, you have. Uh, a new album of your own coming out. Uh, and I want to actually go out on a song from it that you've been so lucky to, you've been so lucky, you've been so kind to share with us. We're lucky uh, that we can play it. A brand new song that is from your solo release coming out soon. This is a piece that I just love, and I've told you this. I really love this. It's called Labyrinth. What can you tell us about this, this piece that we're going to be going out on? When I'm driving, I, when something comes to my mind, I immediately record it on my phone. <laughs> the, the, the first name of uh, this tune was 3Bay405, because I was, in, <laughs> I was in, a, in traffic. I was stuck in, uh, in a, uh, traffic in Los Angeles in 3Bay405, <laughs> and it, it came to, to my mind that the, the melody, and that the thing about the melody is that it's not, sort of it's not ending it's weaving around itself so that's why and then i, I decided to to uh, put the name uh, labyrinth or hazard too i love it and can you just give a, a shout out to the musicians who are playing on it because of uh, course yeah. um, i am mass of us my friend uh, is a great cello player she played cello on this Ali Sanoi, which is a fantastic, great uh, bass player, played bass on this. And uh, my dear friend, Richard Sherwood, played drums. And are you on uh, Centaur or, 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 or yes. Tombak, your first instrument? 
<laughs> I know, I'm fine. I'm sad, George. I know, I know. You're fine. Uh, having done it is a, it has been such a pleasure. I'm so glad we got to do this. I can't wait to do it again, but in person next time. And uh, and I'm so thrilled with uh, the the music that you've the success you've had very recently, and the music you're uh, creating both solo and with Opium Moon. And I and I really appreciate you coming on Rook. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate. Uh, that you gave me this chance. I'm, I'm so happy to talk to you and uh, talk to your audience. Thank you so much. Hope to see you soon. I can't wait to see you guys in concert, and I'm sure people listening around the world can't wait either. Merci. Thanks. See you soon. Hodafis. Love you guys. Bye-bye. My feature guest, that was Hamid Saidi, an internationally acclaimed composer, musician, one of the founders of the group Opium Moon. Uh, and he has his own solo record coming out called Missed Over. Uh, Hamid joined us from Los Angeles today. Here's a piece from that brand new record coming out very soon called Labyrinth. Oh, a little taste of new music from Hamid Saidi and a piece called Labyrinth. Uh, microphones are back on for Groovy Shia, Captain Reza, and the fabulous Keon. Um, so that story about his mom. Oh. I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know that was his mom. Wow. I mean, it's a everything about that is, is interesting. The recording, um, the tradition of doing that kind of repetitive um, work while they're... Um, um, doing their uh, what do you call it? Uh, yeah, how do you, I was weaving. thinking about that. Weaving, so weaving, 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 yes. weaving. and uh, and then the, he used his mom, and then obviously the uh, the uh, that was a bit of a trigger for him in terms of uh, yeah. the emotional impact of hearing hearing yes. her voice. Um, but uh, what an interesting guy! Yes, yes. Actually, the, the one of the things that he mentioned. It's true, you know, in Iran, the way that we are trained to play music, it's not kind of uh, suitable here, you know. It takes a lot of time that you can find yourself among musicians here, you know, in terms of being able to, like, improvise with other musicians. Right. Yeah, actually, he's right. It, uh, they, they, they don't uh, train us to improvise in Iran, yeah, it's very kind of strict. And yes. Yeah. Mm. But isn't improvisation is more so a jazz thing? I mean, I'm not... No, no, no. 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 I don't know much about music, mm -hmm. so... Yeah. But it shows, for too. Sure, for sure, improvise, improvisation is a... Mm, Big part of jazz, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. But, but it's... Yeah, uh, yeah. 
but it's not in general. No, you can uh, improv as a rock band or yes. you can be a jam band, you know, mm. the Grateful Dead, you know. But you know what he said that I really like? I mean, you brought it up. Uh, was the fact that it's like, if, if you make music, if you make a mistake, like, we're humans. Humans make mistake. Let that be part of the music. Mm. Like, it's okay. It's fine. I really like that. Well, like and the idea that the four people are going to come together and you know, uh, dial back each mm. of their their respective instincts to want to, yeah. you know, play their best chops and yes. just like, you know, respect the collective. And yes, uh, I thought that was really yeah. interesting. It was really, yeah. really cool. Mm. It was educational for me. I had no idea they have this folkloric uh, singing they do when they, what was it, when they weave, weave carpets. carpets. Yeah. I had no idea. I've never, I guess I've never seen women weaving carpets so but I you know, know no that i haven't seen in person women yeah. weaving carpets either mm-hmm. but in iran like there is there are like four or five national channels right uh-huh. like state tv okay. that's like that it's all like government paid whatever right, right. and on channel four i remember they used to play a lot of documentaries cheesy like cookie cutter very like cu- documentaries and mm-hmm. they would make documentaries about like they would pl- play a lot of them about uh, carpets and people who make carpets, weave carpets, like mm. around uh, Ashoyer, they say, like nomads mm. and wow. uh, in the south or Baluchistan and stuff. And uh, you see a lot of it, like on TV, like they would play like footages of women weaving carpets. Wait, singing. do the me- do the men also no. sing as well? I've never really? seen. No, but I almost yeah, they they, they do, do carpets yeah. and they and they sing as well. They have a little. Yes, I mean it's like you know, Beautiful. there's a con- conductor that who read the plan like. Mm-hmm. Zardo as Ria Abi, they would say Zadam, Abiro as Ria Sab, Zadam. Yeah, somebody is pl- reading the like, map. Like, like traditional men on a ship. W- yeah, yeah, that's how I imagine. With the oars, rowing. Yeah, but it's interesting that it's like a conductor. You have a map in front of you, mm. it's a plan of the you know, the carpet. carpet and, huh. yeah, they s- and so for hours they sit there and sing for and continue. Months. months. Yeah. It, it takes months to make a wow. carpet, so they do it like. How long do you think you would last as a weaver? (laughs) (laughs) Probably (laughs) kill myself at some point. I would in the first hour. (laughs) (laughs) Two minutes into two minutes into weaving. This is bullshit. One's break. Uh, Kia would be like, um, it's been 45 minutes. Is there an appetizer before the next 45 minutes? Or I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I'm just wondering if um, there's. Uh, I was wondering if I'm going to get a Chardonnay <laughs> with my dinner. But also hearing the same singing over and over, you'd probably lose your mind at some point, no? Can't you see the poetry in it? God damn it, Kia. Power to them, man. Someone's got to do it. Hey, a shout out to Farid Ameryoun and York National Realty, yorknational.com. York National Realty is based out of uh, Aurora, Ontario, Canada, where I lost my driver's license uh, a couple times, <laughs> got beaten up, but then now it's a better place. And there's York <laughs> National right. Realty, not too far north of Toronto. The owner is a guy named Farid Ameryoun. This is a boutique real estate brokerage company that provides top tier service from first time home buyers uh, to investors looking for new opportunities and the communities they serve. Uh, honestly, it's a great company. If you're looking for real estate in Ontario, Canada, uh, this is a boutique company to go to. York National Farid has also made it his mission to give back to the Iranian community in the diaspora and has supported a number of uh, Persian community events and projects. And this episode of Rook is brought to you with some support from him and his team. A big thank you to Farid Amaryun and the York National Realty team for all they do. YorkNational.com yorknational.com a uh, Monday mm. Arash Sobhani coming yes. up on the big show 
So we'll look forward to that from the the from Kiev. Kiosk. <laughs> you know this word, right, Kion? Kiosk. Right. You look at the word, you <laughs> right. go kiosk. Yes. I need to buy tickets for my, the Broadway show. I'm going to go to the kiosk. Kiosk, right. Uh, no. So now there's a, there's a famous Iranian Persian band, right. you know, rock band, <laughs> uh, kind of a pioneering indie rock band uh, called Ki- Kiosk. But the Persians, like not us, but the, these guys who <laughs> fancy themselves as, the, you know, they call it, they say kiosk. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. So if you say, so we're damned if we do, damned if we don't. Because obviously, you know the person, like, you know that friend of yours who just comes back from Havana and is like, yeah, I was in Cuba. And you're like, fuck <laughs> off. You like just say Cuba, you know, like a, you're like a normal person. Right. We get it. You went to Cuba. And yeah. Now you have the accent. I was in Cuba, oh, you know. No. So now if I say that, if I'm like, and coming up, kiosk, you know, I just sound like, uh, you know. But then if I say kiosk, the yeah. people are like, oh. <laughs> that he doesn't know how to say the name. What's Wait, so how does Arash pronounce it? Arash Sopani. Well, we had him on once before for mm-hmm. with the Pink Floyd special, and I think he said it's okay in English to say kiosk. Yeah. But oh no, <laughs> not to the not to the Persian fans. Yeah, I mean, if if you m- meet a Persian uh, people in the street and say, "Do you know kiosk?" they would say, "No, what's that? <laughs> what's the band?" But if you say, "Do you know kiosk?" They wow. recognize yeah. Yeah. Persians True. are weird, man. <laughs> <laughs> so Monday we have uh, the guy from Hughes. that band. <laughs> what Shia said. Uh, full time for Rook for today. Thank you so much for listening. Our website is rookmedia.com. That is where you can uh, find everything. All of our episodes, our guests, our links to the Rook funnies, our videos rookmedia.com thanks to the folks who put this show together each week fabulous Keon Ponta the Artist Thoughtful Nagin Producer Susan Super Patty Saw Savvy Roham Alhai Merdad Sponsorship Sean Captain Reza and Groovy Shia thank you to all of you out there for supporting us and for sharing our content we love when you share and we love when you subscribe you can do that on any of our platforms for free and you can actually become a patron to help us out by pressing the support us button at rook media we see who the patrons are and we really appreciate you guys uh find me on instagram at giangomeshi mizunmashi mizunmashi